Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, so we are joined here today by a great guest. I'm very much looking forward to this conversation, Mr. Kane Sims. So Kane, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you, Dave. It's been a long time. I feel as though I, feel as though I haven't seen you for a long time. I've missed I know. this. Yeah. I'm, uh, so, yeah. So I'm Kane Sims. I'm the founder of VUX World. Uh, and for those of you that are not aware of VUX World, uh, we started out as a podcast in 2018, very beginning of 2018, a podcast focusing specifically at voice and conversational AI, uh, where it's used, how it can be used, how you can use it, uh, and how it can be implemented. And that quickly kind of led on to various other things, workshops, consulting, stuff like that. And now we have a consultancy. We work with uh, enterprise clients, helping them formulate strategies from an AI perspective, uh, you know, set up roadmaps, uh, put together teams, train teams and things like conversation design, help them select and identify partners and vendors and, and all that kind of stuff. And on occasion, we'll, we'll implement, but we'll co-implement with the client to help them upskill and become self-sufficient. Our aim is to empower organizations to be able to utilize AI technologies. Uh, on the other side, we do uh, do a lot of work with vendors as well. So uh, as you can imagine, having a decent knowledge of the space, having a good understanding of the technology and the landscape and the market and the direction direction it's moving in uh we work with vendors vendors on on go-to-market stuff and marketing activations utilizing some of our channels like the podcast like we've got a good presence on linkedin newsletter webinars workshops those kind of things and so yeah we've been doing it for nearly four years in january which seems like it's just absolutely flown by yeah i mean first off thanks so much for coming on it has been a while i miss you man <laughs> we were kind of joking before we started likewise, recording likewise it feels I, uh, like yesterday we were at project voice 2020 before the pandemic kind of came and ruined everyone's life well you know what's funny that was like the last trade show i did before um before the world seemed to stop uh mm. before the music Same. stopped um Same. that was and, my uh, that was my first trip to america believe it or not yeah <laughs> to chattanooga tennessee. To what a, tennessee what a hilarious first place to visit but an awesome <laughs> I know. place i love yeah. East tennessee um nice. yeah i remember we were kind of standing around late night having some beers like you know talking to brian romilly just uh it was like a sign of the times but Good lots time. changed since then and um I, I you know i feel like i should preface things here the, you know, my podcast, uh, I feel is a little bit representative of what's happened. Um, I would almost say like post pandemic is I very much um, gravitated more toward my industry and my podcast has, uh, you know, my roots really were as a podcast, very much sort of straddling the fence between my industry and my passion for everything that's going on with voice tech and conversational AI. And uh, I just I haven't had very many conversations this year on the podcast about what's happening in the conversational AI space, which seems to be kind of a theme. I feel like a lot of the faces that, you know, were um, media figures or whoever it might be, I just see less and less chatter. Maybe that chatters in places like Discord or in private channels. But, um, you know, one of the things that I've always really appreciated about you is, you know, from the start, like you said, I think you were probably one of the very first podcasts that catered to, uh, you know, people that were interested in this sort of burgeoning um, conversational AI space, and you're still at it. And I, I really appreciate that because you're, you really are probably like the most tapped in person to what's happening in this space. And so I thought, you know, as we kind of like come up on the end of the year, um, I got to have a, a refresher of like what's going on in the space right now, because in many ways it feels uh, we were kind of talking like before we started recording, in my opinion, it feels like there is, um, you know, a little bit of a uh, there, there's a heads down theme right now where people it feels like people are building. Um, it feels like there's a lot of the like maybe the not so sexy um, hype that uh, was that was very pervasive in 2017 through like 2019. Um, and in lieu of that, I think like now we're seeing a lot of the really core infrastructure being built and iterated upon. Um, and, you know, I would be curious to kind of get your thoughts on this, but 
you know, in general, like where do you see the voice space being right now? And, and more broadly speaking, the conversational AI space and what's your read on sort of the state of the technology? Does it feel like it's stuck or does it feel like um, it's it's a lot of that plumbing in the infrastructure and the things that aren't as exciting to talk about, but are very much necessary in, in order to continue to advance the technology forward? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting observation that on on the first point around um it seems a bit quiet. I think my observation is twofold. One is that uh 2017-2018 there was a lot of hype around voice, there was a lot of uh chat around Alexa and all that kind of stuff and you know, I think people thought that Alexa was going to be the gold mine that was going to kind of usher in this new wave of the App Store and all it was going to take is to build a couple of skills. You'll have a Angry Birds style hit and all of a sudden you'll become this highly successful entrepreneur. Um, and so I think there was a few opportunities, opportunists involved at that stage. And what transpired was that actually that wasn't the case. In fact, Alexa skills are quite hard to make. Uh, well and they're quite hard to get found as well and it's extremely hard to get people to return to them if you do manage to acquire some users and so people have had a real hard time uh, making it work basically so in, in 2019 I think the first exodus happened where the hobbyists left um, and then but then you still had a lot of hobbyists that were still involved and, and trying to make it work and trying to trying to you know build businesses on it but then i think what happened in 2019 is that um on the alexa and google side is that people realized that the way to make money actually was to go out and find people with money which usually is brands and companies and so there was companies formed uh in the uk and the us that were aiming to serve brands and build stuff for brands on the platform and that's pretty much where i would say that that alexa is almost right now is that it's an it's a place for brands to exercise marketing experimentation essentially now, i wouldn't have said there's been a terrible amount of product market fit found in that platform just yet although i think that the most interesting thing happened over there right now is what Sate now are doing with actionable audio ads which is that they're running audios on radio stations that are specifically targeting smart speaker listeners and encouraging people to enable a skill using a certain prompt that they give them uh, and that's lead that's led to a whole bunch of charitable donation increases you know um buyer the the company that has the the buyer the barocca brand have, have sampled something and, and so they've just been on a on a huge roll so so that's kind of my observations of that side of things. I think it's a, it's it's it has evolved into a marketing channel, and so I think that for the hobbyists and the entrepreneurs that wanted to make something happen over there, it's been a lot harder, and and it has been very difficult. Um, and the other side, I think that the, the the why it's being quiet is that I think actually generally people are just trying to build businesses now. In in 2018, it was a lot about you know. Um, hobbyists it was a lot about kind of like uh, everyone was passionate about it so spent a lot of time networking building relationships you know experimenting but then I think what ended up happening is that ultimately if you want to make this happen full-time you need to be able to generate revenue in some description so I think some of that sure. quietness has been has been people heads down building businesses uh, you know getting work done um, and so that, that's kind of that but then in terms of my observations on the actual space uh, in general I think that the the whole conversation on voice AI space has never actually been more uh, animated it might be that the action might not necessarily be focused on the headlines uh, on, on Alexa as much as it perhaps was but I mean if you look at what's happening on, on the enterprise side as I mentioned before we started talking you've got Microsoft spending 20 billion dollars on nuance uh one of the oldest uh, and arguably most successful speech uh, technology companies you've got genesis that just raised 500 million dollars last week at a 21 billion dollar valuation now that's not necessarily a speech technical company it's traditionally a call center company that acquired a whole bunch of uh, cloud communication companies. So now it's basically a, a cloud communication company. Think of it a little bit like a, a Twilio or almost like a small version of AWS. They're now worth $20 billion. They've got, they've just acquired Bold360, which is was a pretty successful and they've got their own innate uh, chat capabilities with integrations with Google Dialogflow and a whole bunch of other stuff. And so what's happened is actually the, the activity, the enterprises and, and companies that are, uh, you know, large corporations and, and service-based companies and companies that have large customer bases have realized that they can use this technology to save themselves money, improve customer experience uh, and work 24-7 without getting tired and without paying people more. And so that's, that's my observation of, of where the activity is. And that's what we've been focused on most of the times for probably about two years now so we were pretty early in trying to target that kind of uh that space but i think 
it's it's people are starting to catch up now. I think that there's, a, there's this year has been a lot and a lot of activity. Loads of funding announced. You know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of funding. Casisto, fifteen million dollars. Algolia, one hundred and fifty million dollars. Voiceflow, we know about Voiceflow, twenty million dollars. Artificial Solutions, fourteen million dollars, followed by another five million dollars. Um, you know, there's been just loads. Core AI, seventy million dollars. Uh, Symbol AI, seventeen million dollars. You know, everyone's raising. For Synthesia have just raised, I think, five hundred million dollars. Off it might be fifty or five hundred. I might be either adding or missing a zero. So there's a whole bunch of activity going on. Is my observation, and it's still an incredibly exciting. It is it my belief that it is absolutely the future of customer experience. This stuff. Yeah, there's. Um, I have a lot of thoughts there. Um, so you know, for starters, I do want to preface uh, for the listeners, those of you who have maybe come onto the podcast within the last few months, and you're used to me having discussions about the hearing health industry, this might be a little bit of a curveball for you. But just to kind of recap, like why I'm so passionate on this space is I am adamant that at a certain point, there will be a interface with your in the ear devices, whether it's hearing aids, or it's AirPods and uh, those types of, you know, Bluetooth type, you know, wireless devices, you're you know, in a world where you maybe are less dependent on your screen, there's going to be, I think, a lot of use cases that make sense when you have a more robust conversational AI baked into it. So I just want to preface why this is so relevant, I think, to the future of the hearing health industry for those that fit hearing aids is that this will all, I think, be a major use case in time. And I think to your point, Kane, like as you were saying all that, um, you know, with, with all of these raises, the thing that the theme that I kind of gather from it is again, it's the, it's like the core technology is what people are raising on, you know, it's, it's advancements in the natural language processing, it's advancements in speech recognition. Um, you know, I, I think that what, you know, maybe the biggest, uh, contribution that Amazon made isn't necessarily Alexa per se, as much as it's the, it's the core infrastructure that is, is Alexa. Like it's the, the far field microphone technology that they advanced with smart speakers. You know, I remember when I interviewed Jeff Adams, who was part of that team that built Alexa, he said that that was like the biggest challenge was when, when Bezos presented this concept or however the genesis of it was when at the very early stages of it, that was in his opinion, what was going to be one of the most challenging things was like a lot of the ways in which you you have to make the far field microphones work and all of the, the, you know, the processing that goes into it, how do you wake it up? You know, obviously this is a on cloud device, so you can't send massive amounts of data, not to mention all of the privacy concerns along that go along with that. So it seems like, you know, and, and you had mentioned with the call centers too. I mean, when I spoke with Anna Rosen um, with um, uh, voice flow, she had, she had said that like, you know, at VoiceFlow, that was a huge focus for them as well, was basically the the next iteration of the call center, you know, and I feel like so in a way, it's like, I know that a lot of a lot of the roots of this industry of of this technology um, are on those types of things are call centers. And so it's almost just kind of come full circle to where it's now you're seeing like major advancements happening um, at that at that core technology level. And so that's why um, you know, you don't hear a whole lot anymore about, you know, people um, building within the Alexa ecosystem. There are certainly people doing that. And, and in, in time, it really might manifest into something meaningful, but it felt like a little bit of a head fake. And I think that, you know, I it's a little synonymous with, with the way I think about it is Alexa and Google Assistant. However, as time has gone on, particularly, I would say in the last like 12 to 24 months, my thinking is those those two ecosystems are important, but it's it's just a small portion of what's really going on in this space. And and as more companies um, tailor, whether it's you know very specific solutions for a particular job, and it's you know enterprise applications, and it's ways in which you can basically solve uh, for a very specific need that a company has that seems to be kind of the direction that things are moving. And I'd be curious to hear from you, like, you know, it, it, as we head into the new year, like what, what are you anticipating 
we'll see happen this next year in light of what's transpired this past 12 to 24 months, knowing that it's obviously going in a different direction than just being squarely focused on Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, the big, you know, consumer voice assistants. Yeah. Well, I think those, those assistants, what they, what they did do, you mentioned it, that, that it's, they, yes, one, they've kind of put a lot of infrastructure in place um, that enables some of this stuff to happen. But, but more importantly, what they've done is they've normalized talking to stuff. So that's, what, uh, you know, the, the echo device was the very first purpose built thing that was only built and intended for you to speak to nothing else existed. You could speak to other stuff. You could have a microphone plugged into your computer and you was dragging dictate for the last 20 years before I Alexa, but it was the first thing that was ever built specifically to speak to. And so it, as you, you're right, it had to, you know, work out a whole different things with, with far field mics and also mic arrays and how you take, uh, you know, eight different audio signals coming into eight different mics and make them all kind of aligned to one signal and then understand what it is. It took a hell of a lot of doing. Um, and so I, I don't actually think that these platforms are, um, What's the word I'm looking for? I do think that the future is very, very bright indeed for Alexa and Google Assistant and Siri because you mentioned there in terms of ear health and, and in-ear kind of um, capabilities and stuff. Ultimately, what what the, the debate I've been having for a, a long time is in my, with myself, and I've had this debate with many others on, on many other podcasts and on all that kind of stuff is, are these voice platforms channels or are they platforms? Mm -hmm. So are they a channel like WhatsApp or social media where you kind of like, yes, you kind of almost, you have to do something bespoke for them. Your image size on LinkedIn is different to it is on so on, on uh, Facebook, but broadly speaking, the message is the same. The internal behind the scenes capabilities are the same and you just broadcast through a different channel. Yeah. Or are they platforms like um, iOS, platforms like Windows, you know, things that can be built upon to create new levels of value, new levels of unique value, basically. And this is the kind of thing I've been struggling with for a while. And I think the conclusion I've realized is that it's actually both. Um, right. And it's, it's just at the moment it's being utilized as a channel which is that it's a lot of radio stations are pumping stuff through there. It's a lot of like general question and answers that are reading answers from, from web pages and stuff like that. And there's not a lot of companies treating it like a platform because of the number of reasons that are barriers to doing that, as we've mentioned, like um, there was a, there was a recent published uh, report from the UK government commissioned a report saying uh, looking at the radio industry and the future of the radio industry. And in the end, it proposed regulation that mandates smart speakers to always give preferential and free access to radio stations. And I was thinking that's quite damaging because it's preferential treatment based on nothing, basically. But the fact of the matter is these radio stations view smart speakers, namely Alexa and Google Assistant, as very important distribution channels, so much so that they want to regulate them to, to, to mandate a presence on them. Um, but in future, if we can overcome this, this uh, the conversation that we've been having for four years, which is around discoverability, then ultimately, what is the future of Alexa and Google Assistant? Well, Amazon are not going to stop until everything's got Alexa in it. And Google Assistant are not going to stop until it's the default access point to the internet again, like it was when the default access point to the internet was a web browser, and that's all you had. Whereas now you've got everything, so Google wants to be everywhere. And so I think that these are going to continue to grow. Usage is actually growing. It's growing year on year um, and usage on mobile is growing year on year. It's just that the, the, it's the brand bit that was the missing link. Like if you're, if you're, if you use a hearing aid, which has got Alexa built into it, then it's useful for adding stuff to your shopping list and all that kind of stuff. But what about if you want to just check your bank balance or what about mm -hmm. if you want to just add a note to Evernote or what if you want to just, you know, send a message to your, your partner or whatever it might be, or what happens if you want to turn your heating on or there's a lot of other the stuff that you use your phone for that you would have a need to use when you don't have your phone either with you or in your hand and so i think the future of these platforms is actually pretty um pretty bright i just think that it's not been uh, it's not happened as quick as as we thought it would have done I, so that's I, the first cut sorry go on well i was just gonna I, I completely agree with you i think that it is a channel right now and in the future it might ultimately become a platform um, I've long thought that the sweet spot right now is media. I think that yeah. you can see that in the usage data is that, you know, the primary use cases people rely on their smart speaker for um, are listening to music, you know, and uh, different forms of media podcasts uh, as a new one. Um, and I, I think that it's an interesting 
Um, it's interesting that like one of the main things you've mentioned it twice is radio. And I think that in many ways, the smart speaker um, and, and this kind of flew under the radar a little bit was, you know, maybe one of the most significant aspects of a smart speaker is that it's really just a radio in, 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 in a sense that is two way. And, um, you know, so I think that you look at all of these terrestrial stations, you know, if you listen to the radio, you can hear many, many stations will always advertise, like, listen on your smart speaker, um, because they know that you can build the habit that way as well. And I think there is actually, that opens the door to some really interesting things. So, you know, for example, it might, you know, eventually cater to the ability to have that, you know, let's take some calls and and you as the listener literally can just engage with your speaker that can connect you to the person on the other end. So I can, I can imagine how um, it makes things more dynamic. You're seeing it, you had mentioned earlier with the ads. I think that's the start is that, you know, what, what, what does this do that's different than a standard radio? Well, you can talk to it. And so Mm -hmm. you can say as an advertiser, you know, um, take this action in order for this thing. And I feel like that's, so that's a really significant thing. So I, it, it seems to me that Alexa in particular is like very much, I think Amazon is they're they're looking at kind of the usage and they're, they're gravitating in a few different directions, media being a big one where I think they're seeing that, you know, with their ads business, maybe another aspect of that giant portion of the company that just continues to grow. I saw a stat that said it was Benedict Evans said that um, he thinks that, you know, he basically did an analysis that um, the Amazon ads business might actually be more profitable than AWS. So this is like, I think a major, major focus within Amazon right now. And it makes sense that, you know, that 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 would be such like Amazon thinking of like, okay, we have this asset, which is our smart speaker footprint and Alexa, what can we do with it? I had always thought, well, that the, the most likely scenario was that it would be all tied to amazon.com and shopping on it. And it might mm-hmm. be that, but it also just might be a vehicle for ads on this like new version of radio. So anyway, yeah. I just say all that to say, you know, it seems like right now, it's very, very much a channel, but in the future to your point, and I think that the, the, this is part of the head fake is that the platform opportunity does exist and it just might take a lot of time because it feels like we're kind of stuck right now. But the reason being is it's as you dig deeper and deeper into it, you realize, wow, this is a gigantic undertaking from a, from a technology standpoint of like, there is so much stuff that needs to be ironed out for this thing to actually work in a meaningful way. It's just like you said, where, how, how do you get it to the point to where you can do all kinds of different things where it's working through a multitude of different apps in context, you know, I want to check my bank statement. And then the next minute I want to be streaming some version of media. Um, and as a user, is that what you want? Like, do you want Amazon to be this end all be all master assistant that's basically dipping in and out of all of these different um, places in which your data resides? And so I feel like that's an existential question that people haven't fully wrapped their heads around yet is, mm. you know, if this vision is what you want, then you have to understand that you're basically saying, I want to give Amazon access to like every aspect of my data. And I'm not sure that people are sold on that either. So it seems yeah. like we're in this spot right now where you can kind of see the the building blocks of this vision of a platform. But in in you know, in light of the fact of how challenging it is to get there, it feels like Amazon almost is sort of reverting back to it being a channel as well. Yeah. I mean, Amazon ultimately. You know, I, I used to even say this in 2018 that, that Amazon would be happy if you did nothing but play Amazon music, set timers, get cooking instructions, and that's it, make phone calls. Mm-hmm. Amazon would be perfectly happy. If you do that every single day, yeah. you build trust in the interface, you build trust in the device, you become close to the thing that you, or the person, as you would probably imagine it, called Alexa. And then eventually, yeah, you, you won't mind adverts, you won't mind spending money on it and, and all that kind of stuff in future. And so I think Amazon will be happy if it was if it was just that. Um, you're, you're right, though, definitely that it is kind of like Radio 3.0 at this point in time. And there's actually a slide that I used to use. And this slide I'm looking at now is from... 
February 2018. I've just dug it out. Uh, and it's a slide. The first slide is basically a, a black and white picture of a bunch of uh, kids sitting around a black and white TV. And the way that I used to think about it and explain about it is that if you imagine the TV in the 50s or 60s, it just existed of three channels. Mm -hmm. you, didn't, you, you, you didn't have a choice about what was on there. You just choose one of those three channels and then you get the content that someone else has decided for you. Whereas now, if you look at you know, Netflix and HBO and all of YouTube and all of these different on-demand platforms. Basically, you can decide what you watch, when you want, and all that kind of stuff. And so there's an abundance of content, there's an abundance of choice, and there's also an abundance of um, devices that you can watch it on. And then you have the, the phone, which if you go back to the early 90s, it was like this big, huge brick with like a toothpaste battery in the back. And all it did was make <laughs> phone calls. It just did one thing. It just made phone calls. And that was it. It did nothing else. Right. But then you look at phones now, and all of a sudden, it's the same kind of thing has happened. It's become productivity tools where you can do almost anything on them and the the the, the fan, kind of like last slide i used to show is the radio which is the exact same in the same way as a Great tv point. was a one medium broadcasting you don't get to choose it's just get what you're given mm -hmm. it's exactly the same as the phone was just a one-way street to cut to talk to someone did nothing else in the same way as the radio is just a one-way street that just broadcasts and does nothing else whereas now smart speakers are like the equivalent of uh, a smartphone to a, an old school phone is the same equivalent of a smart speaker to an old school radio. Yes, you can have choice of content. Yes, you can do it whenever you want, wherever you are, in whatever location, in an earphone or whatever. Um, but also, it, it's a, it's almost like a productivity tool as well. It's just that those other things haven't manifested as fast as we might have thought. But I want to get to your your your, uh, your kind of other question further back was uh, around. What was it? It was around what? Uh, what do I think the next year yeah, looks what's like? What's twenty twenty two going to look like in your opinion? With with what's happening, like the, the the chess pieces are being set, the tables being set right now for the new year. What 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 are you anticipating? Are going to be the? I mean, you don't have to obviously make any like specific mm. calls, but what are the themes that you're kind of anticipating? Um, well, if I do, if I if I pick up on some of the things that have, that have happened this year. Uh, and what that might lead to next year, I think that might that might bring things a bit closer and, and stop it from being as far fetched. Because I, I think things don't often move as fast as you think. It's took Amazon four years to get advertising on Alexa, and so it's it things don't tend to happen as fast as you think. But some of the interesting things that I think paved the way for some. In I mentioned earlier on the the acquisition of Nuance from Microsoft. Microsoft has been on a, on a, a very quiet rampage, <laughs> if yeah. that even makes sense, over the last few years. I'm, Microsoft has got probably one of the best suites of AI services that you could possibly imagine. One hundred percent. Yeah, they are absolutely. They've got absolutely all sorts. They've got the Azure Bot framework, which if you're a developer and a coder, you can build everything yourself from the, from scratch. They've got Composer, which is if you're slightly skilled but not a full coder, you can use Composer. And then they've actually got Power Apps and and the, and the um, Power Bot framework, you know, which is drag and drop bot builder for someone who can't code. And so and, and they've got a whole a whole bunch of other processing capabilities around NLP and stuff like that. What's interesting about Microsoft is that they spent twenty billion dollars on Nuance. And what do Nuance have? Well, obviously, Nuance have got a lot of legacy technology, but they've also got an incredible footprint in the healthcare space. Yep. Nuance have spent two decades integrating with all the EHR systems, all of the big players in the health in the health sector in the US, all of the ones that if you were knocked on their door tomorrow and said, hey, can we integrate with your system? You wouldn't even get a phone call to have that conversation because they just don't work like that. They're legacy, archaic, very large, very wealthy companies that are very difficult to integrate with. Nuance have got all of those partnerships, all of those relations and all of those integrations already built and Microsoft has just acquired it. And so I think that we're going to see a lot more of Microsoft's focus become focused around health and applying AI to healthcare without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, they've also just launched a contact center in Dynamics 365. So Microsoft now have a contact center. And what was interesting about that announcement was that seven out of the 10 features that were announced were AI capabilities. And so it's the, uh, Microsoft are bringing their AI capabilities into productized offerings, basically. So rather than going to Azure and having to stitch together speech recognition with Lewis NLU and a dialogue manager and stitch it all together, Microsoft are productizing a lot of their stuff. And so I think you're going to see a, a lot of interesting stuff come from Microsoft in, in the next few years. Love that. Um, yeah, there's going to be some interesting stuff, I think, with in the car. We've, I mean, it's been voice has been 
available in, in the car for quite a while. Nuance uh, spun off Serence and Serence, you know, we had uh, Joe Iacobelli from uh, from Serence on the podcast recently. He's just, uh, well, they've just announced a partnership with Harman uh, where they are going to voice enable all of the third-party apps in the Harman Ignite store for any uh you know, OEM that runs a Harman Ignite uh, store on their on their in-vehicle infotainment systems. And SoundHound ha- are going to be going public next year uh, as part of a kind of like merger slash acquisition slash funding round. I uh, can't remember what it was called. It's some crazy. It's like a SPAC. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So they're going to be going public, uh, which means that they are definitely going to be uh, really pushing into a couple of different areas, definitely around around auto. So I think we're going to see some interesting stuff there, um, and and around hospitality as well. They're doing some interesting work with Mastercard. So, um, but I think what's interesting, the trend that is uh, coming out of the Nuance and, and Harman partnership is that Nuance are voice enabling third party applications that don't have anything to do with voice in them, right? So if you are Heart Radio and you put your app on uh, the Harman Ignite store, Nuance will provide a voice interface to that app without you doing anything whatsoever. And so what that is the very early sign of is the ability to create language models that are specific to a certain domain, like playing music, or in the banking space, you know, there's a product called Casisto from a company called Kai that is that is basically just built a language model, um, or rather Kai from a company called Casisto. Uh, built a language model specifically focused on banking and so it's productized so we're going to see i think we're going to see a lot more productization of language models where it's like it's almost like a one-stop shop for you know a a chatbot for example for banking or whatever it might be um i think we're going to see a lot of interesting stuff from amazon still i think the advertising on alexa i think will definitely continue amazon on the aws side are always up to some interesting stuff they've just announced an automatic chatbot builder which is that if you just feed it call transcripts and chatbot transcripts it will automatically generate you intents uh and you can you can basically use that as the basis for your design um so i think that we're going to see a lot of democratization is what all of this kind of leads to it's it's making things easier um and then synthesia just raised as i said either 50 or 500 million uh dollars on their uh ai video platform and which is which is basically giving a, a face and a, a presence essentially to some of these synthetic um beings so to speak and so i think we're gonna i don't know whether 2022 is going to be a time we're going to see that be prevalent but i think it's definitely something that, that's coming down the pipe is is you know avatars and, and actual digital humans and stuff like that i definitely do not want to get into this whole metaverse conversation because i think that's <laughs> a bit too far down the line for what's realistic but these digital avatars i think ai based digital avatars are, are going to be are going to become prevalent and i think the ultimate future I, I genuinely believe that the front end to most organizations is going to be an ai I don't want to put a time frame on that, but if you think of any place you go to access any service or do anything, whether that's playing music, whether it's you know taking out a loan, whether it's uh, going shopping, <clears throat> whatever you do, wherever you go, wherever you access at the front end of a company, there's an opportunity for an AI to be there, and I think there will be over time. But I think the broad trends over over the next year, I think, is definitely more democratization. Uh, we're going to see some interesting stuff, I think, from Microsoft in the healthcare space. We're definitely going to see a bit of a rise in digital avatars potentially um yeah and uh, just a general increase on the enterprise side i think of adoption of these kind of tools yeah i uh, i think those are all excellent excellent points um and i think the point that you make about you know sort of the the ai will be the the forward facing you know the first thing that you interact with we're already kind of seeing this and again i feel like this is a good uh, a good example of the hype cycle, which is you know chatbots were were kind of ridiculed and laughed at for a long time, and then now everywhere I look in my own industry, and my industry is a lagging indicator because it's it's an antiquated space with medical professionals that aren't techie, but if you go on any different audiology practices website. I would say like 50% of them now have a chat bot that's there ready to assist like some of the most frequently asked questions. And I think that that's like just the first phase of this, which is you start there and then it's like, you know, maybe there's a conversational AI element to this where you can actually start to talk to it. And it just, it feels like, you know, you had mentioned the metaverse, we won't go down that path, but I can almost guarantee that that's going through its own hype cycle where it's, you know, everything now is web three and it's, I, and don't get me wrong. I'm bullish on that space. 
long term, but it's going to go through its own growing pains as well. And, and so there's a good chance that a lot of what's happening in the voice space will actually probably correlate with what's going on in that space. But again, it's like the 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 hard stuff, which is the, the real infrastructure that needs to be built in order to make the technology run in the first place needs to be ironed out. Chatbots are a great example of it where, you know, it's like it wasn't ready and it's, and it took time for a lot of failing and a lot of like ironing out of the technology, but now it's getting a lot better. And you're just going to see, I think more and more of that happen where it's just uh it's, it's, it gets overhyped. It's like, we just, as a, society have a tendency to do this we gravitate toward the shiny new thing and we get really excited about these um grandiose visions and and honestly like a lot of the time those grandiose visions do pan out you can even go all the way back to pets.com at the the dawn of like the dot com <laughs> bubble well like there's there's like chewy.com now right and so yeah, it's like yeah. those things actually do end up manifesting but it tends to take a lot longer than people anticipate and i feel like voice is like kind of in that phase right now where it went through its 2016 to 2020 phase of hype and and it's like it's kind of come crashing down but that being said i feel like uh, to your point like you mentioned earlier you have a lot of stuff that's much more interesting at the core technology level that's happening. And uh, Microsoft is a perfect example of it. Nobody was talking about Microsoft in 2017 to 2020, like in a, in a, in a, in the same conversation, the same breath as Alexa and Google assistant and all these, because again, Cortana was like shut down very early on. And, and people, I think just sort of assumed like, that's the, that's the thing that you need to look at in order for it to be table stakes. It's like, do they have a voice assistant? Well, mm. no, not necessarily, but they have uh, a C-suite or they have a, a enterprise suite of solutions that they just keep adding to. And, you know, to your point, it's like what, what ultimately might manifest from this is <clears throat> you have all kinds of things that nuance is doing in the, in the clinic um, that, you know, obviously it's all powered by Microsoft, like in the, in the actual electric electronic medical records. So the EMR space, mm. maybe there's an element of dictation there, but then also you look at a lot of their digital tools, Microsoft teams, I guarantee will have some sort of version of it. Maybe it's going to be like a HIPAA compliant version that will reside underneath it. That's specifically for telehealth visits. And a lot mm. of that portion will probably be powered by nuances as well. A lot of the different capabilities that are like laden within that. So the cool thing is that uh, the, this, all of these things, like what's going on in the background, I feel like is going to come really into fruition here soon um, in a, in a much more meaningful way, because I think that at the core, like what makes the whole conversational AI space so compelling is you know, a, it's a, it's a better input mechanism more times than not, like being able to just talk and the speed in which you can input data rather than having to type something out. That makes a lot of sense for a setting where, you know, like a medical professional, if you have the ability to dictate the notes and annotate, like in real time, um, mm. that's, a, that's a, the type of thing where you present that to a doctor or a nurse or whoever, and you sit in and it's polished and it's, you know, really it works. I feel like then they're like, this actually makes my job easier. And that mm. seems to be kind of the reoccurring theme that's happening is, I, I think that what we're going to see over the next few years is going to be a lot of this where rather than appealing broadly to everyone, it's more like going to be catering to very specific types of jobs and, and use cases that, you know, are, are much more specialized. And, and I think a big reason why that's now feasible is, again, you have this like variability of being able to quickly create, like you said, these, um, these like customizable, um, you know, like whether it's an NLP that's running a specific lexicon or whatever it might be. It's just like, these things were really, really, uh, really difficult even a few years ago. And, and that's like, when we talk about the core technology being iterated upon and innovated on, that, those are the results of it is like you can much more quickly deploy specialty type things that really do then do a better job than the incumbent method, whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you've got some things that, I mean, the accuracy inc improves incrementally over time, but you've also got improvements in, <clears throat> in processing 
So, you know, if you think about Google last year when uh, it announced the Pixel 6, I think it is, and essentially it managed to squash what was 100 gigabytes worth of processing on its AI, uh, on its NLP, its dictation and stuff, uh, squashed it down to something like, what is it, a gig, something like that. And so now it's running on device on a Pixel 6. Same thing with with the, with yeah. the Apple iPhone uh, 13. You know, the the iOS 15 pretty much runs all of its dictation on device. And so the, the, the advances have come from a number of different areas. One is accuracy, of course. There's always advancements happening from an accent perspective, from a language support perspective as well, which, which helps. Um, then you've got processing power. You know, Qualcomm just announced a, a processor that can completely strip out background noise. So even if I'm in front of the mic and I'm doing this and I'm clicking mm-hmm. and there's noise and I'm scrunching paper, it can actually isolate that frequency to an extent that it will remove it entirely. Totally. So that all you hear is my voice. And obviously there's benefits for that for, you know, in the area that you're in for with people with hearing impairments and stuff, that's a huge benefit. Being able to just wipe out all noise aside from the voice is huge. Yep. It's better for calls for anyone making any phone calls at all, but then also at the front end of the the voice AI stack, if you like, getting a clean signal is imperative, you know. So, so there's a whole bunch of kind of like technical advancements that have, that have been made that mm-hmm. have made way for a lot of this stuff. But then your observations there around, um, you know, isolated or, or domain specific products and use cases, we're seeing that definitely because, as you mentioned, you know, if you're a bank. The people, whatever whatever it is that you're doing, it could be a chatbot, could be a, a voice assistant, could be voice activate in your app or your website or your call center, whatever. The conversations you're going to have with customers are going to be constrained to a certain domain, isn't it? It's all going to all, be, all going to be about finances, likely to do with a certain number of topics, likely to do with products that you sell, and so you can train models to understand that kind of domain uh, better than a general kind of domain so if you think about for those that are not like really in, in depth about it, if you think about amazon alexa it needs to be able to understand broadly speaking a whole load of stuff it needs to be able to understand a music command to a timer command to a send a message command to all this kind of various different stuff but if you were to ask it uh, what are the latest mortgage rates from halifax it doesn't really get that. It's not yeah. programmed to be able to understand that that is a, a request for a, a financial rate from a certain company because it doesn't have that language model. Whereas if you were to build one specifically for finance, then you you, you tune it to that. So what we're already seeing this, we're already seeing vertical-based or industry-based products that are building on top of domain-specific language. And then there's also use case-specific advancements as well, like DeepGram uh, have recently released a new speech recognition model specifically for meetings. So it's better at identifying and meeting actions and meeting notes. Symbol AI, this is what they do really, really well. So they just focus specifically on being able to identify uh, different people speaking. Uh, whenever someone says take an action, being able to take an action, being able to recognize topics within a within a conversation. So there's, there's, there's all kinds of different advancements happening. I, I think what's ultimately going to end up happening over time there's going to be some that are very going to, going to still be domain specific. Microsoft in healthcare, prime example. But if you notice, Nuance was focused on healthcare predominantly, but now it's part of Microsoft. Microsoft isn't only focused on healthcare. Microsoft is focused on absolutely everywhere. There's all kinds of different industries that run on Azure. And so what's happening is you've got these horizontal kind of integrations where Microsoft are providing capabilities to all different industry types. So they've got generalized capabilities that can be customized to a certain industry, but they're horizontal across industries. Amazon are trying to do the same, IBM the same, Google the same. And so all the other providers are kind of going to try and do the same. Even if you look at the very like emerging technology companies that have got some of the most advanced technology, like Zero Shot Bot or Vlooper or something like that, they're focusing on one domain with the view of expanding to other domains because they want to end up being horizontal. So I think that there is a, at the moment, there's a bit of a divergence. You know, we're focusing on on improving customer experience using AI. You've got other companies who are focusing on, uh, you know, using AI for marketing purposes. Some are focusing on using it for sales purposes. And so you're seeing these little niches being carved out. But ultimately, I think the future is that all this stuff's going to converge because it's going to be very difficult for one provider to say, well, my speech recognition is better than your speech recognition because they're all going to be the same, you know? And so they, 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 once there's enough understanding of enough domains, they're all going to be the same. So I think there's going to be an eventual convergence in all of this stuff, which means that there'll either be more acquisitions as we're seeing and things consolidating, or there'll be people that just drop out or companies that drop out because they don't end up surviving. But that's what I think is going to, I think we're well, we're well away from that, but ultimately I think that's where it's going to end up is everything's going to converge. 
So who, who do you sort of look at as potential dark horses or, or who's like really intriguing to you that maybe doesn't get as much attention as an Amazon or a Google or a Microsoft? Um, which companies would you recommend people keep an eye on that are interested in the progression of this, of this whole space, big or small? Uh, on the small side, there's a couple of really interesting companies that, that are um, cropping about recently. And we've, we've had a lot of them on, on the podcast recently. You've got, uh, there's a company called Zero Shot Bot. And uh, that's founded by a guy called Jason Mars. And Jason Mars, he was the co-founder of Clink, which is now one of the, you know, they're focusing uh, predominantly on the banking sector. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, but they are one of the you know, the go-to players in, in the banking sector for providing uh, voice assistance. And so that what they have is an approach, which is, um, <clears throat> it's known as, um, I don't want to get too technical, but it's basically their, their NLU uses a different type of foundation. So it's called what's called a transformer model. It's, it's very similar to, if anyone's seen uh, what GPT-3 does for those that are, that are kind of in your industry they might not be aware of it but basically if you've ever seen those headlines where it says ai can write a novel or mm-hmm. ai can predict what someone's going to say next or whatever it might be that's most of the time that's a tool called gpt3 and what ends up happening with uh, most natural language systems uh, regardless of of um of uh, which one which provider they're all built in a certain way. They require, if you're, if you're even on the fringes of this stuff, you'd have probably heard the term machine learning. You've probably heard the term training data that it needs to be able to function. Uh, and so there's a certain way of building these systems that requires a lot of training data, requires a lot of uh, time and effort. And, and the, the general structure of what's known as intense is all is, is kind of um, fragile at scale, basically. And so there's a couple of companies that are coming out which are using what's called a transformer model. And all that basically means to an end user is that there is a much higher chance that this thing is going to understand you, right? That's all yeah. it basically means. It's going to understand you a lot better, and therefore it's going to be able to respond to you a lot better. And so there's a couple of companies that are working on this kind of stuff, which is one of them is called Gutted AI. So, um, well, actually, I'll stick with Zero Shop Bot. So Jason Mars, founder of Zero Shop Bot, that's his company. Uh, so that company is uh, only just coming out of beta this month. Uh, and so you'll only be able to kind of see it uh, or get access to it in the next few weeks. But it sounds very, very promising. Uh, there's another one called uh, Got It AI. Uh, one of the guys that's ahead of AI there is called Chandra, Chandra Katri. He spent a long time at Amazon Alexa. He founded the Alexa Prize um, and he's got immense experience. So that that's working in a, in a very similar kind of fashion. Uh, another company called uh, Hiro coming out of Israel. They're quite interesting. They have a very similar approach, very unique approach to data management and stuff like that, which again, ultimately to translate that into why it matters, it just means that there's a much higher chance that it understands what you say and can get you the right information. Uh, and the last one I would say is a company called Vlooper, which uh, they are in, I think they're still in like a stealth kind of phase, but they have a very similar approach uh, with uh, they, they call it, um, what is it they call it? Symbolic AI, they call it, which was a new term on me. So it's an, it's crazy. But anyway, ultimately, all this means is that in the field of understanding language, there are certain limitations that the uh, some of the big platforms have. And these more nimble companies uh, that most of them are based in academia, all of this stuff comes out of academia and it's all, it's proving the concept of the theory that they've, that they've learned through uh, academia. Uh, And they are, from what I've seen so far, they are performing very, very well. And so I think the future of this stuff ultimately is going to be in what is known in the industry as zero shot and few shot learning NLU models basically means less training data, but higher performance, which means it's going to understand people better and it's going to be able to answer your query a lot more accurately. And so gone, hopefully gone are the days when you type something into a chatbot and it comes back and says, oh, sorry, I didn't understand that. Mm-hmm. Or you say something to Alexa and it says, mm, I don't know how to answer that one. These models uh, can change that basically over time. Yeah, that's really interesting. I And again, it's like it goes back to kind of the whole, the, the gist of I think what we've been talking about, which is like, you know, again, yeah, these things like you can dig down into them um, and understand what each one's doing differently. But to your point, like, how does this actually impact the consumer? It means that like the speech recognition is getting better. And I think that again, it like, that's kind of where my head's at here is it sounds like a lot of like what makes this whole thing run and, and, and be compelling is what's being ironed out. 
and it's, you know, making it so that it's more accurate, making it so that it's speedier, more reliable, it's more interoperable between different apps, you know, it's, it's more helpful, (laughs) you know, it's just a better, a better uh, experience overall. And that will translate to more usage that will translate to people feeling like, you know, this is actually a compelling use of, of, of how I interact and interface with my technology, which again is like, that's kind of the whole vision that it's been from the start. It's just that, you know, you couldn't with the, with the straight face say for 90% of the things that you do on your phone, that it would be superior in 2017 to use a smart speaker. And I feel like that was part of the fallacy was that people were trying to sort of make that argument. Um, and, and I'm just, you know, generalizing here, mm. but that's, I feel like that's sort of the theme is like, um, we, I feel collectively had these high hopes and aspirations, but just the technology wasn't there yet. And it will take time. We're still not there. You know, it's going to take a long yeah. time for these visions to be manifest. But to your point, like you look at the way in which there is uh, the, the acquisitions happening, the, the funding that's being raised um, is all a testament to, you know, the businesses are being built right now. And as soon as there are opportunities to generate significant revenue, um, the, the technology will follow. And, it, and that's kind of like where things seem to stand right now is that we're in mm. this, it's not a holding pattern as much as it's a building phase. And those tend to be kind of quiet, it seems, and not as flashy, but it will, it feels like there's an other, like, you know, when we come out on the other side of this, when a lot more of this technology is is mature, um, <clears throat> just like what you said with you know the actual technical uh, advancements that are happening, whether it's Qualcomm, Nvidia, you know, all these different chip manufacturers that are going to make it so that you have the ability to mute background sounds just because it's identified it through machine learning. I mean, there's going to be so many different things that are derived from that as soon as the technology gets to the point to where it enables these types of use cases. And you can go down the list of all the like core technologies that make a conversational AI, a conversational AI. And you can look at each, each facet of it, whether it's the NLU side of things, or it's the, um, the automatic speech recognition, um, the, all of these things, like they're all in piecemeal being iterated upon right now, it feels like. And, and Mm -hmm. I think that we're going to see like, the, the really exciting stuff will, will follow. It's just going to have to be after the plumbing is built. Yeah. But I think that a lot of the, a lot of the funding actually that we've, that we've seen this year, a, a lot of it isn't actually funding for building stuff. A lot of it is funding for uh, like exposure and, and going to market with stuff okay. so you're right to say that the last i would even say the last four to five years has actually been a phase of, of building stuff and for a lot yeah. of the ai companies out there it's been building something can we get it in a client yes we can okay how do we use that to then boost the product and fuel it more can we get it into another client yes we can but the last year or two if you look at you know pick two vendors out let's say unifor and core ai two cognigy as well They've been kind of like acquiring clients steadily over the last sort of like three years. This year, every single one of them has raised a big bunch of funding. And yes, there will be product enhancements, but that majority of that funding isn't for let's fix the plumbing. The majority of that funding is let's go out and find big clients. Let's get ourselves Mm -hmm. the market leaders for being the the go-to conversational AI vendor in the world so that when this consolidation happens, we're the ones doing the acquisitions or we're the ones who are on top. And so you're right that there's been a lot of building going on, but I think that there is a lot of stuff now, uh, I think as it's been exhibited by some of this funding that is actually ready, ready for prime time. Starting to be deployed. That's yeah. great yeah, to yeah. hear. It's further along than I had even realized. And again, that's why I'm talking to you because you know this space better than anybody. <laughs> um, so uh, as we sort of come to the close here, you know, what else is on your mind as it relates to this whole space? I mean, what is, um, you know, I guess like as a closing thought, what's what what are the things right now that are really energizing you with this? Like what what in your personal opinion, um, are you looking at and saying, this is getting really, really interesting? Um, it's a good question. I think that I'm always, as I mentioned, the, the couple of the advancements on, on the uh, NLU side, I think have impressed me a lot over the last few months. Um, what's also interested me a lot is that 
of the, of the, at the higher end of the market, at the Microsoft side, at the Amazon side, at the Google side, and then the, the, the rung just beneath them, like the Zoom side, you know, Zoom almost acquired Five9, which is another contact center provider. Ha- having said that, they're actually a cloud communications provider, again, a bit like a mini version of AWS, but that got canned basically because the shareholders didn't want to do it, but it was almost going ahead since then. Both companies both stumped up some money to put into the 500 million that Genesis raised. Um, and so there's, there's almost like a, at the, at the not quite kind of, there's activity happening at the very high level at the Microsoft Amazon level there. You can tell that they're investing really heavily in some of these capabilities, but at the level beneath it, where companies that are still like billion-dollar revenue companies, but not quite Microsoft level, they're, they're also, you can see there's evidence of them being infused by this stuff. And so you can only imagine what's kind of coming down the pipe when, when Zoom stump up a good proportion of money in a, in a traditional traditionally a contact center provider, there's interesting things kind of going on there. And if I look at, you know, how good some of the synthetic voices are getting now, you know, Synthesia and the, the digital avatars, the way that they're kind of shaping up, um, I think it's a really, really interesting space. But the one thing that's, that's um, I don't know if it's exciting me, but it's positive signals is looking at the very high end of the market with these global technology firms. And you can see that they're all AI first. Salesforce yeah. acquired Slack. Every single thing that Salesforce have published from a strategic point of view for their business since then has been about how do they turn their entire organization into a Slack first organization? Mm-hmm. What is Slack? Slack is a conversational medium. Yeah. And so so when you look at you know Salesforce, you look at Zoom, you look at large kind of like enterprise comms providers like Genesis and Five9, then you look above them and you look at the big cloud providers like Microsoft, Amazon, everybody is investing hugely and has massive confidence. Even And then you look at the funding, you're coming from the, the venture side, there's, everyone's got funding available. So everyone, it seems, who are in decent positions to have a look at where the world is moving, everyone is putting their eggs in the AI basket. And when I say AI, I've almost started to use the word interchangeably with conversational AI because the vast majority of investment has been on natural language processing. And so the front end of AI, without a shadow of a doubt, is going to be conversational and NLP based. And all of the big companies in the world are putting all of their eggs in that basket. And so that's what's kind of exciting me because it's a confirmation that for the past four years, I've kind of been on the right track and hopefully will continue to do so. <laughs> I love that. That's a really, I, I, I love the way that you broke that down though, where you have these different rungs and you look at it from, you're right with, you know, Amazon, Google and Microsoft with their big cloud presence. So they obviously have a gigantic vested interest in making this all work. You go down one level with Zoom and and like everything that Salesforce is doing. And you're right where it's like, you know, very much so this, everything is sort of uh, in, in a sense, it's it's at least parallel or adjacent to what's going on in the conversational AI space. It seems like there is going to be a fusion there that makes a lot of sense in, in some way or another. And, and I do think that the, like, again, it keeps coming back to what I said at the beginning, which is, you know, what was, what was like the big breakthrough that Alexa represented? Well, it was the, the smart speaker itself and a functional new device that relied upon a far field microphone array. Plus you had, you know, the combination of the automatic speech recognition, the natural language processing, the wake word detection, and all of those like core technologies that makes that thing seem to be um, in, 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 in piecemeal, all being iterated upon in various ways. And so I think that where we're, where things will ultimately end up over these next few years is like you said, where, whether it's like you have the, synthetic AI has gotten so much better to where, you know, how that ultimately manifests in the market is maybe as with the rise of podcasting, you know, I've long held this idea that you'll have so many different forms of, of audio content available to you. And a lot of it will be like the internet read to you in whichever fashion you want and whatever's interesting to you. And it will, that content will surface much in the same way that you look at video and how that's all surfaced now, you know, the, the dominant new form is TikTok, which is entirely AI. I can imagine that like with the same thing of uh, play me something interesting today, and I don't have to go and actively tell my assistant what I want to listen to. It's going to know, and it's going to be 
you know, so there's just so many facets of this, whether it's the, the anticipatory fashion of how it's going to deliver that content to you and the way in which that content's going to be delivered, which, you know, it very well could just be a synthetic voice that sounds whatever way I want it to sound. Um, there's just like so many little facets of this that are just getting better and better. And so for me, the way I've sort of taken everything that you've said today is that, um, you know, there, there's just a lot more momentum than it probably seems on the surface. Um, and, and as a testament to that, just look at the fundraising that's happening and, and just get a sense of what types of fundraising is going on. Like, what is that money being raised for? Um, so in other words, uh, this has been great, man. I just really, really enjoy your thinking on this whole space. Where can the people that are listening here learn more about you? Uh, you definitely, we would be remiss not to mention your amazing dog walking videos. So I want to give you a chance to plug that too. Your newsletter is amazing. Um, it's been a staple of my content diet. So, um, just want to give you a chance to plug all the different things that you're doing. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. The, be the best thing to do if anyone wants to learn more is go to VUX.world, VUX.world. And, you know, the podcasts on there, our kind of industry analysis that we publish is on there uh, in an article form uh, and stuff like that. I definitely encourage you to to join me on LinkedIn, Kane Sims, K-A-N-E-S-I-M-M-S. -S. As, as you said, Dave, I've got a, a LinkedIn newsletter, which is, which is, I've only been going for a few weeks, but it's been getting some tremendous feedback. Um, and then, yeah, I do these little dog walking videos where rather than kind of like just put a LinkedIn post with a little few words, uh, whenever I come across an interesting news story, I, I kind of break it down and deconstruct it and talk about it while I'm walking a little Winston. So yeah. That's <laughs> Winston. Yeah. Kane's being kind of, uh, he's being kind of humble here, but really truthfully, I think that you do some of the best work when it comes to taking information and distilling it down. And uh, I've, you know, taken a bit of a step back from this space um, just because I'm, I'm so now focused on my industry and, and all the momentum that's happening there. But you do an amazing job of helping to keep me informed of what's going on in a very entertaining and informative way. How are you liking the, the LinkedIn newsletter? Is that I've not known anybody that's uh, done their version of a newsletter service. Is it, are you enjoying it? I am. It's very good. Yeah. The thing about LinkedIn newsletters, uh, LinkedIn, I'm all in on LinkedIn. That's basically what I, I, I think it's huge. I'm with yeah. you on that. Yeah, it's it really is. The thing about LinkedIn is that it's very controlled. It doesn't let you get too spammy. Mm -hmm. So when we do our live broadcasts on the podcast, we broadcast the podcast live every Thursday and Wednesday. Um, what you, You're only allowed to invite 1,000 people per week to any event. So you can't just spam all your contacts with your event. You've got to be selective about who you invite. So it's good in that way. Having said that, it's, it's good in that way because all of my contacts have the opportunity to be invited to the things that are relevant to them. And so it's like, rather than build up a big newsletter list, it's just it's just as easy to have contacts on LinkedIn for me. And so the LinkedIn newsletter has been fantastic because as soon as you create it, it sends an invite to all of your connections yeah. and says, Kane's got a, link, a, a newsletter. Do you, do you want to subscribe? And Literally in the space of, I think about 18 hours, two and a half thousand people subscribed to LinkedIn newsletter. And there was only one episode available, one, one article available. And it's just been going from there. And every time you publish one, it sends it to people's uh, inbox. It sends it to people's email automatically through LinkedIn. So it's a, it's a trusted sort of channel. So it's definitely, if you have the opportunity to do it, I might, I honestly, I might follow it. your lead. I might follow your lead. It's really interesting. And I'm with you on that. I've, um, I, I, my true love has always been Twitter, um, but <clears throat> I, I think that for the purposes of creating content, uh, LinkedIn is where it's at now. I mean, it's so it's it's so effective at reaching your target audience, yeah. and it's you know it's like it's home to there. It's like you said, like there's just not as much noise on LinkedIn as there are on all these other channels, and it's dedicated to um, to business. So it, it feels like a good place for that. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because you're the first yeah, person yeah. that I know that has taken advantage of that. I've been getting pop-ups about the LinkedIn newsletter and I didn't even know they were doing anything like that. I've just heard Substack, Substack, Substack. So it's yeah. interesting that, you know, again, Microsoft's doing it because Microsoft owns LinkedIn. Microsoft's yeah, doing a lot of really interesting things right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. I think Substack is good, but the problem with Substack is that and it's the same thing with we've got an email newsletter which we which we send and that's that's been something that we've done for about four years. But the problem with that is that and Substack is that you're always asking everyone to go out of their way to do stuff. And I, my, my, a lot of my background, if you go back far enough, is in user experience design, and I'm a huge, huge 
advocate of making things easy. Mm -hmm. I'm well aware that investing fully in LinkedIn means that you're basically locked into that platform. And if they change something, then it impacts you. I'm well aware of that. Um, Having said that, though, it is the most frictionless way for people to keep tabs on what's going on within the conversational AI space. And it's very good at targeting you, right? It's, I don't do any paid advertising on LinkedIn, but I get, you know, I don't know, thousands of people that view the videos and, and, you know, comments and stuff like that. And it's all the people who I want to speak to. It's all AI practitioners or, you know, business leaders that are working or interested in AI, you know? So I I don't really care about reaching anyone else. I don't, I don't need to reach anyone else. Mm -hmm. I just need to reach the people who are interested in what I've got to say. And LinkedIn seems to be a decent way of doing that. So yeah, I would definitely recommend though, <laughs> definitely recommend the the, the newsletter because you're you're similar. You're, you're you're in a very particular niche. Yeah. That for people that work in that niche, they're interested in it. You don't work in that niche because you you need a job. You work in that niche because you care about it and you enjoy it and you're passionate about it. And other people are as well. And I think that the LinkedIn newsletter I think gives you, you know, just another outlet for that kind of expression. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like people kind of dog on LinkedIn a little bit, but really, truly, it's, um, you know, I've been posting more on there. Uh, and to your point, I mean, the reason being is my whole industry is on there in a fraction, a tiny portion of it is on Twitter. So like, I'm, I would be kind of remiss not to use the platform that everybody's on. Um, mm. And and it feels like it's even more and more like that. And so LinkedIn's doing a lot of really interesting things. Props to you, Satya <laughs> Nadella and the, the Microsoft yeah. team for making that into something that's rather functional these days. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Kane, this has been a, uh, such a great conversation. Love catching up with you and hearing what you have to say about the state of conversational AI. Um, you know, I'm sure this won't be the last time I have you on to, to give us all an update of, of what's going on in that space, because love to hear your thinking on, you know, what's going on as somebody that's as plugged in uh, as you are. So appreciate you joining today. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end. And we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Cheers man. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.